Hello everybody, welcome to our London studios for this week's edition of The Ruck. Thank you for following us and downloading us in such great numbers. Hope you're enjoying it. This week there is a Ruck special, as well as the one that you're listening to now. There'll be one later in the week, I'll give you more details, but it will be very special. It'll be a one-on-one with one of the most influential and shortest uh, journalists in, in the game. First of all, we really beefed up the panel in fact, packed it almost full with Olympic athletes. Well, we got one Olympic athlete and two non-Olympic athletes. In fact, two non-athletes. Welcome to Martin Gillingham. Martin's first appearance. Martin, um, I hope I got my games right. You ran the 400 metres hurdles for GB in the LA Olympics. I did. And also the World Championships. Yes, very slowly. <clears throat> which was your finest race of your career? Finest race, Crystal Palace, which where I know my friend here, Mr Barnes, has also run and won. 1987. What? Edwin Good. Moses was first, Chris Akabusi was second, I was third, and the subsequent Olympic champion, Andre Phillips, the year later, who ended uh, the long run of Ed Moses, was fourth. Yeah, and was that but your at the personal, end of the day, I wasn't good enough. Was that your personal best? Yeah, yeah. What sort of experience was it to, to, to running against Ed Moses? Was it was it daunting? humiliating? <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> On a repeated okay. basis, and I ran against him quite a few times, and yeah. never, to be honest, got terribly close. Was he a diff- was he a, was he a decent bloke or just not really? A, okay, right. I sat next to him in the call room in Rome for about half an hour. He didn't say a word. Right. Okay. We hate Ed Moses, okay? That's going to be one of the Ruck's um, <laughs> mantras. Sa- mantras from now on. The bloody Ed Moses. <laughs> Geek. Um, okay. We're also in the company... Uh, this, this just to go back to Martin's journalistic side, which is vast. He's been a TV commentator for a long oh. time. One of the best, in my uh, my opinion, and journalist. Don't, don't humiliate me. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just right. happy to be here. I'm a fan. I listen to this. Yeah. And I feel like a kid... Who's just walking onto the set of Blue Peter? Okay, fair enough. All you those are good. My blame you. Well, any, oh, fantastic attempt at flattery. Where's <laughs> Petra the Doglin? This is Blue, Blue Peter and John Noakes. Um, all I say is that um, he, he he's commentated for more satellite uh, televisions than there are satellites. I think. In fact, was it Yuri Gagarin who put the first satellite up when you joined satellite television? It was Yuri. Yeah. Okay. Yuri was yeah. Mark, listen to this. I'm going to read out the second bit of Gillingham's email address. It is olympian.org. Have you ever heard anything like that? olympian.org. No, no, please, don't do that. No, that's terrible. I got given it. The, okay, Olympian. Um, we've got a real Scotsman on, on the panel. Not on the not on the phone, not an allegedly real Scotsman. We've got a real Scotsman from real Scotland up in the far north, Stornoway. That's right, yeah. And uh, good man, that is north. How long would it take you to get from Stornoway to civilization when you first when you first were born? There's aircraft now, Steve, so okay. an hour to Glasgow, right. uh, or a nice little ferry into Alapool and down to, to Inverness. So, yes. Okay, and and uh, we, we'll whisper this quietly, but basically you came from a football gra- background, Mark? That's correct, Journalism. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what, what were the teams that you loved, and what were the teams you covered? 
Uh, well, growing up in the north of Scotland, it was around the time of the rise of Inverness, Cali Thistle and the, the fractious merger that has now led to them becoming, uh, well, a minor, modest force in the game that relegated last season uh, and, and Ross County as well, but we, we don't like to give them too many name checks. Of, of course. Uh, Mark's our Scottish rugby correspondent and uh, never forget with the Sunday Times, we give you lots of uh, coverage in every country, Scotland, Ireland, Wales and England, and we spend a lot of time on it, Barnsley. And um, it's out there and it's online if you want to read Read it. Also, uh, I think I gave away something there when I said Barnsley, because we have with us today Stuart Barnes, a doyen of summarisers and a Judas amongst men. <laughs> Barnsley's recently arrived on Twitter, and blimey, we all waited for the something to hit the fan, because his normal, aggressive, ebullient, know-all self, but Barnsley, unbelievably, you you weak as a little baby kitten on there. You've um, not fallen out with anyone. No. You've not been blocked. I haven't You've blocked not... anyone. Oh well, that's terrible. No, I, I'm I'm sort of following New Testament philosophy here, Steve. <laughs> I leave you to the Old Testament. Let's go and butcher them. I sort yeah. of have that Jesus thing about you know, follow me, and it'll all be okay at the end of the day. Right, he's bones. He's got a religion. Something's happening now. <laughs> We're just at the end of um, the fifth pool round of the of the Heineken Cup and the European Challenge Cup. All good stuff. All controversial. Some great rugby. Just M- Martin, you you spend a lot of time in France. You'd know it like the the backy hand. You know their rugby. One or two of the French teams are, are playing well. Also, there seems to be some players coming through. Seems to be a bit of an urgency over there. Is something rising from 10 years of underachievement or am I being over-optimistic? I think it started last June when they won the World Under-20 title. They've always sent star-laden teams to that competition but never done anything. But last year on home territory in the final in Bézier, they beat England. And a couple of the players who featured in that have been included in the new squad for the, the Six Nations, Demba Bomba, who's a tight head prop, and Roman Entomac, of course, famous name. And I suppose at the top end of the sport, what we're also seeing is the re-emergence of, of Toulouse and also playing like the old Toulouse. So, you know, it's happening on two fronts, really. So I'm not necessarily confident it's going to translate into something in the Six Nations, but down the line there is hope. But but uh, is there at least, are they at least on the same wavelength with the national team? Because I got the impression of the last three or four coaches, there were two parts of French rugby and that never the twain should meet sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think we also have the same problems we have in England, where we have the clubs who are all powerful. <laughs> they have a long, long season, don't they? They start in the middle of August. This year, they're finishing in the middle of June. So it's a long, long season. And then, of course, caught in between it, we've got uh, Six Nations and we're looking ahead to the World Cup. So for all of these players, it's going to be a, a pretty long season. Okay, let's just, just talk uh, another revival. Scottish clubs, um, Mark. Um, <clears throat> Glasgow and Edinburgh still really, really in the mix mm-hmm. to qualify next Saturday. In fact, Edinburgh could easily, or not easily, but they've got a great chance of qualifying uh, as pool winners, possibly with home tie. Glasgow have got to go to Saracens, which is not very nice, but at least will be competitive and could still categorically go through as a fast loser. Um, it, has it been a gradual process over the last 10 years, or is something important clicking 
in the in the last sort of six months because they are now becoming increasingly competitive. A bit of both, I would say. Certainly from Glasgow's point of view, it has been a gradual process. It was driven first by Sean Lenin and then accelerated by, by Gregor Townsend and a, and a fantastic group of players, the young guys emerging like at, at that time, like Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell and Johnny Gray, who have since kicked on, whereas Edinburgh had been a, a desperate mess for the best part of a, a decade until uh, Richard Cockle arrived to give them a bit of direction, a bit of thrust, a bit of identity, and that's really kicked on both last season in the league and then this year in Europe where they've, they've won four games in a row which is, <laughs> is pretty much unheard of um, so Burns has been mopping my, my fevered brow at the prospect of, of two qualifiers the entire history of the, the Heineken slash Champions Cup Scotland's had three appearances in the quarterfinals now you could have two in, uh, all at once so all very exciting It, it, it is and <coughs> Stuart uh, Richard Cockerell it always seemed to me rather ironic because he clearly can offer someone to a club in, at Edinburgh, and that which had one team at one stage had a certain softness about them, but he had categorically shot his bolt with an English club. What's the what's the magic that Cockers has taken with him to Edinburgh? Well, I wouldn't say he shot his bolt, Steve. I think he did a very good job when he went to Leicester. I think he realised after a few years that they had to develop from the ten-man team that. It was his instinctive way to coach as a former front rower. He was very important. He was he was key in bringing in Aaron Major, which diluted his powers. And I think what happened then, Leicester lost their shape. They became a little bit like Munster did, thinking we can't play the old way. We've got to do something else. And they got caught betwixt the devil and the deep blue sea. And Leicester being Leicester are not very patient. And I think had they stayed with Cockrell and Major as a combination, or just Cockrell, it might have worked. But he learned from that and he understood about the fundamentals. And he's always been a good man manager. He's always had a, a good eye for a player. So I always felt that wherever he went next, there was no reason why he wouldn't do a very good job. And he's doing a tremendous one in Edinburgh. Well, first of all, Mark, with, with Edinburgh... Who are the individuals who, I know it's a team game, but who are the individuals who really come through? Who are the bosses of the team? Richard Cocker will make a, 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 an oft-repeated point that it is very much about the collective, and that's been the, their strength. Uh, but you can break that down into a number of layers. One, the pack has been exceptional. They've got an, an international front row, and an international front row on the bench as well. Hard-working boiler house. Then you get to the back row, some special players. Hamish Watson, who's been one of the standout open sides in Europe for probably two or three years now. And then Bill Mata, who I think everybody will have watched countless times trying to work out what the hell it was he actually did with that offload on, on Saturday night mm. uh, to James Johnson for his, for his try in Toulon. And he has been phenomenally good all year. Rather worryingly, he's had three standout performances against French clubs in the Heineken Cup. So you, you do wonder if some covetous glances will be, will be made in his direction. But he is added the stardust. They've got a couple of international centres to come back in the shape of Matt Scott and Mark Bennett. John Bartley as well, who there was a kind of marquee signing last summer's not played at all. So the, the rise that they've had this year and last, there's some real quality to come back. So you like to think they can kick on again. Friday's is going to be tough. <clears throat> It will be tough. Uh, we were discussing this earlier on. Toulon, obviously, have had some some desperate uh, travails this season. Very soft when they came over to, to Murrayfield. And again, on Saturday, they blew themselves out quite quickly at the mile. Albeit, still the only only the third time that they've lost there in Europe. So I think we have a hat tip to, to Edmund there. But Montpellier is a different beast, yeah. particularly when they have that desperation and, to uh, win. And Montpellier at the weekend beating Newcastle they rested a few yeah. I mean there's going to be a lorry load of yeah. duplices coming back you know, you've, got, you've got the mongrel <laughs> of Bismarck coming yeah. back after a couple of months off you've got 
Jacques Duplessis, you've got Nadolo who is watching yeah. in his suit at the weekend, you've got Paul Willemser, who's this new France international who yeah. is starting on the bench, <laughs> Jan Serfontaine. I mean, it, I remember going back to, I think it was December last season, when Montpellier had to win when they went to Scotland, That's when they right. went to Glasgow yeah. on a bitterly cold night at Scotston, and they bullied them. And they beat Glasgow, and Glasgow mm. slightly beat themselves. But I get a sense that there's going to be the same mindset with Cotter and that Montpellier team who are doing poorly in France and are looking for a day to turn around their season. I agree. Well, I, I, mean, that's I, I think charming. The Olympian. Yeah. We, ju- we just yeah. get, we just get <laughs> the atmosphere building for Scotland. Right, no, no, the on. Olympian, <laughs> the top walk has knocked it back. No, no, I, I think I can't the, point, the point there though, is that Edinburgh, not Glasgow. I think is yes. Glasgow Pack um, have not had their troubles to seek in the, in the last couple. Of years. I absolutely take the point that, um, that it's a different level altogether from two on, but Cochrane was literally, and I mean literally, rubbing his hands when asked about that on, on, on Saturday night because his pack has gone toe-to-toe with, with anyone, really. Um, you know, with Nell, Schumann, a couple of exceptional props, McAnally, yeah. it's been good. I think I think it will be a battle, but battles are the things that they've they've you know they've come out on top in. Steve, I, 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 sorry, I was going to say I think Edinburgh will win, and I don't think it'll be a battle. I think they'll win comfortably. I think Montpellier are a club of uh, overpaid um, players who do not fight because they don't have the identity. Edinburgh have an identity. Edinburgh have a shape. I, I thought Edinburgh's second half at Toulon was one of the best 40 minutes I've seen in Europe. Montpellier have done nothing to suggest they can beat that. And that Glasgow thing. Last year, Glasgow were appalling in Europe. They were weak up front. Mark makes the point, Edinburgh's pack are much stronger. I really, I really think, Martin, that Edinburgh will win this game comfortably. Just, just go, uh, we, we're having a... Everybody's at the party here, every country, um, and enjoying themselves. France, Scotland... Ireland, England not at the party at the moment, Stuart, apart from Saracens, who obviously can never beat. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what's happened to the England challenge this year? I, I don't think it's this year, Steve. I, I think I, I wrote it in the Times on Monday morning. I think if you if you look back over the 20-odd years of, of, of European rugby, I think when you get to 2008-2009, Munster and Leinster winning it back-to-back, you start to see this Irish provincial thing become influential. And I think the English clubs aren't any worse, but I think the Irish clubs have got a great deal more powerful. You know, there's just four of them as opposed to 12, and I think England and French club rugby are struggling. Toulon are the only team, apart from Toulouse in 2010, to have won it from France, but they won it because they had this you know, this appetite for global superstars. Now, Leinster have got this fantastic academy. They've got a... a you know, most of the Irish team, Scotland, we're seeing it doing it now. I think from an English perspective, we just, when you've got 12 teams and 14 teams in the case of England and France, they are going to find no. it very hard to be as competitive. Uh, and Saracens are the one, you look at Saracens, they've got Funapola brothers, they've got Etoje and they've got Farrell. That's the core of the England team. Uh, you look at the rest of the English team and uh, there's sort of smatterings here and there. It's not that England haven't done very well that surprises me. What will surprise me is if in the next few years England get many more than one, possibly two quarter-finalists. Yeah, but don't forget, it's only three years ago where people were saying, God, Ireland are never going to be back in this again. No, well, Saracens I, are going to dominate. Well, in fact, I've, I've got another theory, which I, I actually wrote to general um, abuse in Rugby World two years ago, and that is that these, the French and the English leagues are now becoming so colossal 
that it is no longer the step up it once was for the English. And I don't think, given them... I think in the old days, if you said you can get to the final of Europe or you can get to the final of um, uh, English, I think they would have said Europe every time. At the moment, I'm not so sure. Because financially, to be great in Europe doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bring them much. It's still the case in France, isn't it? I mean, Toulouse have always got Europe. Clermont did, started getting a grip on it 10 years ago. Yeah. Racing are I think more recently Racing, Racing as well. They're, they're focused on it. But I, still, I think they are, but I still think yeah. that the lure of the top 14, and particularly when you've got 26 rounds of matches and then you've got potentially three knockout rounds, I mean, it's, a, hmm. it's a tough old season. Um, and I think many of the French clubs do prioritise that. And to a slightly lesser extent, I, I think that's happening in England. OK, let's just, let's just talk some specific games. Wasps are at home to Leinster. Uh, this weekend, Leinster needs something from it, and then Toulouse play Bath in Toulouse. So that would seem to be a formality. Perhaps a Wasps can just raise themselves once there are there are some signs of it, and do themselves some damage to it. Do uh, do Leinster some damage? I think Wasps have got more chance than Bath. I don't think Bath have got a prayer in, in Toulouse. I think Toulouse at home will come away with four tries there. Wasps, they're not bad, despite their. Uh, pretty poor record this year you know Leinster they're such a powerful team you know this is a team of grand slammers if they have to dig deep they'll find a way to win this game I I, I cannot see Leinster losing it I think it could be closer than the game uh, involving Bath to lose but I, I don't think it'll be that close Edinburgh Mark as you know them so well uh, you favour them to come through this week? I think they will, yeah. I mean, they can come through by uh, and with a narrow defeat as well, is that true? That's right, they, losing they bonus point. Um, yeah. But they win the game, uh, and they actually do Glasgow a favour as well. If, if Edinburgh win on Friday night, any mm. kind of win, both of the Scottish teams will be through before uh, Glasgow, it's the, the Allianz part. Uh, and that would also give Edinburgh a home quarter-final, possibly against Munster as the permutation stands, which I think would be a, would be a, a really good contest. Matt, just tell us about racing. Um it's very difficult not to describe them as an enigma, but they've got the beat Scarlets this week, which they which they surely, surely will, and with a bonus point, puts them in a very commanding position, not only for a home tie in the second in the quarter final, but given the new regulations this year, they and Saracens got great chances of home ties in the semi finals. Yeah, I think you know, Racing are probably going to end up second seed, aren't they? Yeah. Behind behind Saracens, so I mean they're well placed, and certainly I mean that's a club that's been transformed moving to this new stadium. Um, I mean Racing had absolutely everything in place. They had the they they had the the training centre with the uh, uh, you know the wine fridge on the uh, floor. Floor below. I mean, the first club ever, ever to have a sort of wine cellar. But what they didn't have for a number of Risk, years... Risker had one of those, didn't they? <laughs> didn't Risker have one? <laughs> yeah, but, but what they didn't have was a decent home ground. I mean, Cologne yeah, was sure. a dreadful place. Sure. But now they've moved on to this synthetic surface and they are transforming the way they're playing the game. They're a different side altogether. Stuart, um, Glasgow, um, you've picked them up a little bit. Glasgow have to win. Sorry, it, well, if they w- beat Saracens at home, they, they take the, the pool title. Is there any way? None. Okay. None, none at all. I mean, uh, I think Leinster and Saracens are probably a little bit above everyone. And Glasgow played a quarter final there and they got thumped a couple of years ago. Um, and, and I think the key for Glasgow isn't the game in Barnet. It's what goes on in the capital city of Scotland, and I think Edinburgh will do enough to put them through. I don't. I don't think they'll get a bonus point either. 
uh, because I think Saracens are such a professional bunch. They'll just want to go out there and roll through this game, get another four points, get it done. Gradually, the Saris players have come back. The one man who's not back is the man I regard as their key player, and that's Brad Barrett, right. and he's still not there. So when he comes back, I think they, they, they'll be a, a team to reckon with. Uh, Steve, Good. can I just say, when you, you, you talked about... The English clubs focus more on England than Europe. I think that's a very good excuse for a bunch of teams now who, outside of Saracens, simply aren't quite good enough. It's like the Cass syndrome. We should mention the Challenge Cup. Claremont, obviously dominant at the moment, and it'd be lovely to see them back in the main one next year. Saint, uh, Northampton Saints can clearly get through as a fast loser, but uh, every one of Harlequins, Sale, Worcester and Bristol Bears should make the uh, the knockout stages. So... Um, at least there's um, there's something for the fans of those clubs to look out for. There, they should they should make it. Matt, do you still love your European competition? Absolutely. I, th- I think the other game we need to mention because I think it will actually have some impact on the way things pan out in the, in the last day is the game at Welford Road. I mean Leicester taking on Ulster. Now I know, I know you smirk, Barnsley. <laughs> Just say I, Martin is I a fanatical type. I know you think tiger. I drive the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the supporters' bus. bus. It is a matter of fact that I was born in Leicester. Mm. But Ulster's result at Welford Road, and I think that is a fairly finely balanced fixture, will have impact on how yeah. things um, pan out. Because if Ulster don't get the result they're looking for there, Toulouse are going to be going back to mm. Leinster in the quarterfinals. Yeah. But Ulster winning, that could change things around a little bit. So I think that's going to be a fixture to keep an eye on. I, I, the other thing is, I, I, um, my negative note I sounded there was not on my behalf. I was speaking to a well-known travel agent yesterday who said that the, the trend to go and watch a club in Europe is now very much stronger than going to watch your, your, your national team. I don't mean in terms of numbers, but the trend is, is upwards all the time. So it's, it's looking good. And to have two Scots on the fringes really does g- g- add something to it. That's given the Heine Cup a fair, um, a fair good uh, dusting there. But um, obviously now it's the very early stages of the build-up for Six Nations, Stuart. Should England be worried that they're not having much of a, um, a look in, in, in the clubs? And does that affect the national team? No, I, I reiterate the point I made about Europe, Steve. I, I think we've got an era of superpowers. Because there are 12 English and 14 French teams, you're not going to get many of them from England or France. That's why I think we're going to go through a lean period in Europe. Saracens are the exception. And whilst Eddie Jones has a dominant Saracens, then he has an England team that can compete with anyone in the same way that while Leinster are doing as they are, Ireland are going to be very hard to beat. And, you know, the Vunapolas are coming back. Uh, Farrell, he's not playing brilliantly, but you get the sense he's just ticking over until it starts now. Same with Saracens. Um, And Maru Atoje has just come back. So I think Eddie Jones will be quite relaxed as long as Saracens are doing their bits and pieces. The one one thing I would say that has come out of this last month that I think is a, a massive blow is the fact that a week or so ago we were talking about Sam Underhill being out for the Ireland game. We are now talking about him being out for the Six Nations. Now, that's important for the Six Nations. It's also important further down the line towards Japan because Underhill has shown that he can uh, compete at the very highest level. The one thing he needed was game time at Test Match Rugby. He's not going to get that now before the World Cup, before he plays France and Argentina. And already 
got fellow journalists saying, well, I think Tom Curry was a better player anyway. I don't buy Was that. ahead of him. And, no. and of course, Tom Curry was ahead of him, but he was only ahead of him because Underwood, Underhill had mm. got injured. Then Curry got injured, he got his chance back. I think Underhill was threatening to become a world-class player in the area where England have suffered so badly for so long. And I do not think you can underestimate the significance of that blow. Mark, um, on a personal note, the team that you cover and follow has been on the verge of something for ages. How difficult has that been um, when you know you, you, you just get up there and you just needed two results to, to, to have gone past a critical mass point. How difficult has it been? And and is this the year? It's, it, it's it could be, but, yeah, yeah, because it could have been probably the last year for. I mean, it's yeah. certainly the, the, from a probably probably the twenty fifteen World Cup period and on. There's been a steady graph of, of progress overall, but there's still maybe some key parts of the the jigsaw that they haven't quite proved that that, that they exist. But, which, which ones? Well. I would say the certainly the, the autumn exposed a bit of a, a deficiency at the breakdown uh, and the fact that if teams shut down this high-paced uh, continuity offloading game, stop Scotland getting the ball wide early on, they don't really have those kind of front foot ball carriers, the big kind of beastly guys who can, who can turn it into a different kind of game. Mm. Um, mm. So And also winning away from home is, is a massive issue. I think since 2002, they've only, you know, they've only won once somewhere that isn't Rome in the Six Nations yeah. in Ireland 2010. But, uh, and that's where you know, albeit a much uh, denuded Toulon team or, or much uh, less than Toulon team from where they've been, the knowledge that comes from winning games like that and the belief that comes from winning games like that away from home, I think will stand those guys in good stead as, as they go to, to Twickenham and Paris this year. Is the nation buying it a bit now? Because I, for years you look at the, the, the crowns, you go, it looks a bit embarrassing. But actually it seems to me that the deal t- turnstiles are ticking a bit now. Yeah. I mean, Scotland, I think, have had a, a great home record the last couple of years. They've, I think England, 2016 is the last kind of Six Nations game that they lost there they've sold out 10 or 11 on the bounce now at Moneyfield including you know Fiji's and Argentina's which previously mm. had been getting as low as 14, 15,000 so there, there is a definite kind of sense of, of something happening uh, but again they, they have to get over that, that, that step from good to very good with the, with the World Cup approaching and you know with a couple of key absentees Duncan Taylor uh, Blade Thompson who was the great white hope at number 8 there's still some, some gaps there that are going to have to be filled Martin um, as a student of the French game um, are you prepared to go on flat out and say this is the year because the rest of us are not no I, I don't think I am I mean I mean, they have injuries in much the same way that, that England have had them. I mean, they come here without two wings who may not be involved at all in the Six Nations. Teddy Thomas, who just seems to score tries whenever he plays. Mm. A new name to many. I know it's not new to Barnsley. Oliveretti Rucker, who mm. has been tearing up trees at, at Clermont for a while. Like Willemser, he now has a French passport, which is what you need to have to play for France these days, not just three years of being in the country. I think those two would be your starting wings. They have plenty of injuries elsewhere. And of course, their first fixture is against Wales. Hmm. And I mean, that is a massive fixture. And we know the way the French are. Remember how close they came last year. Hmm. Um, It was that drop goal from Johnny Sexton right at the death (laughs) <laughs> which sunk the French on the opening night. It could have been a different Six Nations for the French, but I know we're indulging in sort of one or two stereotypes here, but you do get a sense that the French maybe are psychologically a little bit uh, fragile. If they do beat Wales on that opening day, that opening evening, then it could be 
a good Six Nations. Absolutely. But bear in mind, they have to travel to Twickenham. They have to travel to Dublin. Stuart, the Vex question, you know, he's discussed loads of 10 for France, 10 for France. Have they finally got one? Uh, after you abandoned the great uh, Francois Tranduc, after telling me he was one of the greatest players ever produced in Europe, you've now abandoned him. Listeners, what? there is a degree of exaggeration <laughs> which I have never heard the like of before. I did think Francois Tranduc was a better player than you did, and on a rare occasion I'll hand out that you might have been right about Tranduc. Um, I don't think Jalibert and Bello are the answers either, but... For France, their big blow last year was the in- injury to Camille Lopez, the uh, fly half for Clement. He's yep. a top-class player. He likes a glass of wine as well, which raises him my esteem. <laughs> but he can control the game, and, and France have had absolute absence of control. The key for them is what are they going to do at, at, at scrum half? They've got... Uh, They've got some riches, but they like Machineau. He is in the squad. No, he's, gonna, he? no, he's not. He's he, going to be Parrot. He's out. It? So they're going to go. It's going to be the two Clermont. So they're going to the, the Clermont half backs. I think Parrot is a little bit slow at Test match level, um, and I think that's a potential vulnerability there. If Parrot can crack it with Lopez, then France have a great offloading game. Uh, any team that can leave out Vakatawa from their squad mm. is pretty good. And mm. if you've watched Damien Peno, you'll see this whole Clermont half-back midfield thing coming into into focus. Racker as well. Uh, France will play some good rugby, but I still don't think, Steve, they're well enough coached. I don't think they're fit enough, and I don't think they have the belief. And the one country we haven't mentioned is Wales. We said if they beat Wales, it could be so different. If Wales win that opening day, they've got Ireland and England at home. We could be looking at a Welsh Grand Slam, despite the fact that they're four regions have been pretty appalling they have that just shows you don't have to be no. doing it week in week out but um, we're going to have a good look at Wales next week um, when the rug comes back on um, on Monday And uh, but I do I do agree um, just one thing as I came in today someone said to me are you going to cover the uh, the latest safety issue uh, and an injury issue that was when the RFU uh, together and this is in the light of four recent deaths in France Martin which which yeah. which um, cast a pole over everything and uh, you know you pray for the lads and their, and their families and everything and for to keep everybody else safe at least but last week the RFU public uh, RFU Premier Rugby Limited and the RPA the Players Association in, uh, put out a massive document in which was said to be um, a, a huge blow for safety. It, uh, it it was a monumental piece. It had um, all sorts of measures, theories, it had statistics, um, evidence-based stuff to um, so that um, it, it, the game would be safer. What it did not have in any one of its nooks and crannies was any suggestion once that as much as what as many as one game should not be played in the overall packed fixture list which shows to me i'm not knocking out the financial and the, and i'm not knocking the medical people who put who helped in this report but no one will give up one pound for safety no one will call out the offer game and if there are fewer games i can tell you without my uh, medical background there will be fewer injuries and, and and less training so that got my goat as you probably um as you probably noticed Okay, well, now we move on to um, the key individual award, God or Goddess of the Week. And uh, Mark, uh, just before you choose, uh, you reveal the identity of yours, which will be 
put to me as the chairman uh, for uh, scrutiny. Um, what are you up to this week, rugby-wise? Where will you be uh, entertaining the Sunday Times readers from? I do believe I'm going to be carrying your bags at Saddison's Glasgow at the weekend, Steve. Ah, assistant. Get an assistant. glamorous assistant, no less. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, blimey, he's, he's, he's almost naturalised now. Indeed. Okay, I get, a, I get a lieutenant. That's fantastic. And your god or goddess of the week? I'm going to go with the simple choice for me and straightforward is going to be Richard Cockrell um, for giving us something else to write about that's, that's positive up, up, up north and injecting uh, life into what was a very moribund club and, and taking them a considerable difference in a, in a short space of time and also emerging within about five minutes to speak to me on Friday and Saturday night when we're on a tight deadline in Toulon. So Fantastic. an all-round good egg. Well, he's got a headship like an all-round good egg, let's be fair. <laughs> um, OK, Martin, God or Goddess of the Week? Well, I'm bound to mention my old mate Albertus Buckle, Bertie Buckle. Um, you may well have seen him in the game between Leon and, and Saracens. He came off the bench. He stuck or stuck a stud in the uh, in the shin of Will Skelton, and not happy with having done that, he turned it through 90 degrees. Now, I think you're bound to respect a man who manages to avoid a red card for doing that. But let's put him <laughs> to one side for a moment. I mean, I, 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 I don't think Barnsley agrees with me. You think I'm going a bit soft, don't you? You've gone very soft. I think it's the way Moses hammered you. Your head's never been right since. <laughs> because there was also an incident there, the Scott Burger one, yeah. which I mean, on a, on a serious note, I almost went all Kent Walton for a moment. I mean, that was a sort of Mick McManus Kent Walton. on his head, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah. this is World of Sport and Fred Dynage, isn't it? Um, but but that... just just hang on a second. Well, Kent Walton to all our younger. <laughs> Uh, li- listeners, anyone um, under fifty? Uh, yeah, anyone. Uh, <laughs> he was the man who used to commentate on the um, London wrestling, not the WWE and all that sort of stuff. But Mick McManus, Steve Logan, Johnny Quango, Billy Two Rivers, Giant Haystacks. Ju- no, he was slightly after. Big, I think, big Giant. Daddy, Big Daddy, Big Daddy was in it. Well, I think yeah, he was yeah. Big uh, Granddaddy Daddy at that time, but. Uh, Kent, his name was Shirley Crabtree. Shirley you know Crabtree, yeah. yeah. That was his real name. He, and do you know what? A friend of mine called Chris Hewitt once met Shirley Crabtree's uh, son and said, is your name Shirley Crabtree as well? And Shirley Crabtree Jr. did not take it at all well. D- exit Hewitt. Um, no, let's get back to my God of the Week. God, I tell you I'm going to give it to. Is Mick McManus? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Barnsley's mentioned the influence of, of Saracens and the influence there should be on the England side. There's one guy there who is another former world champion. He was in the same team as uh, Marowitoji back in 2014. He's the most improved player, I think, in the Premiership, near as, close to, this season. Um, He scored two tries yesterday against Lyon. Um, He's a thoroughly grounded, decent fella. I think he's the sort of fella who would benefit and would benefit England by being in the squad. He's a potential World Cup bolter. Nick Tompkins. That's a very good. He, he did get big raps from comment. Oh, sorry, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. He got big raps, Nick Tompkins. I think he played very well, and I think that's. And he good, does week good, in, week out. Yeah. Okay. Right. In a star-studded lineup. I don't think he's that improved. I think he's a really good. Hang player on, whose god year. is this? It's not your god. It's, it's no. Martin. I'm just saying. I don't think he's that improved. I think he's a pretty good player last year. I saw that well, game. Right, that's typical bars. I saw that. Awkward, I, I saw that game in Auckland. Mine. You hate this name, but <coughs> Munster, they were so efficient against Gloucester. They were just, it was a tidal wave that came and came and came again. It was so impressive. 
but it can be pretty boring. This pick and go when it's got to 35 times. And I was watching the game and thinking, blimey, they're good at keeping the ball, but there's got to be more to life than this. Q Joey Carberry. If you have a team that is just about ball control, you need somebody who's got a little bit of magic. And this kid Carberry has it try that he made for Andrew Conway where he stepped off his right leg and chipped with his left was magnificent and it's a long time now since Munster had a, a fly half that they, they missed the influence of O'Gara it might just be all these years on they've got their man in Joey Carberry he's my god of the week that's fine but three three very strong ones there would you all please leave the room while I give this some consideration yeah I t- I t- to be honest there was three great ones there but I am going to give it to Carberry because it it depended on Calbury as to whether Munster were going to be good or average this year. Because no one knew if he could do it every mm. week. And it's off to a good start. I have to say, though, Cockers to transform a, a near moribund club. Tompkins to come through. Um, uh, so, so well, they're, they're three good ones. Probably the three best that we've had. So, um, God of the Week um, goes to Joey Calbury of Munster. That'll do us for the rut today. Um, just a final question. Mark, have you got a book out recently? Recent? In the no? pipeline. <laughs> but it's not out yet. It's not yet. Mark, have you got a book out coming out? Not this week. Oh, I've not got a book out coming no. Has anyone got a book coming out? No, let's go. Well, wow. 7th of February, Sketches from Memory. I, I do, as you should ask, Steve, yes. Sketches from Memory by Stuart Barnes. And we are going to talk more about that because on Thursday, Stuart and I are going to be together. I'm going to put all the accusations that you all made about him straight to him about um, the way he left Wales behind in the lurch, but also uh, a book which is very, very singular. It's like no book I've ever read. Stuart will be talking to us about that as well. He and I just chewing the fat about rugby controversies, uh, journalism and uh, all sorts of things like that. Thanks so much for listening and downloading us. We'll be back on Thursday this week. Listener.